Welcome to Plodcast, episode 32. Great to have you with me. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming along. So I want to uh, title this first segment, uh, well, let's could just call it Disturbing Algorithms. And, um, and then I'm, I'd like to ex- explain the news story that got me, uh, or just describe briefly the news story that got me thinking along these lines, and then make a few suggestions. Um, I saw float by somewhere on the internet on in my I forget where I saw it Facebook or somewhere um, where or maybe I've, I don't know um, one of the websites I look at but there was a news story that um, that one of the things that people have done they've they've developed a an algorithm uh, they've de- developed the software the technology that enables uh, that enables you to uh, take the 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 appearance the the face of ce- various celebrities and map them onto uh, pornographic images in real time in a realistic way. Um, uh, we've we've gotten to spooky levels of facial recognition uh, software, uh, and uh, so that's okay. That's creepy. So the the fact that people are taking celebrity images and making porn with them is creepy. But my point is not the that creep that my point is not the sexual creepiness of it, but uh, another another side of this, which is I think even uh, even creepier, if that's possible. Um, let me let me appear to change the subject. It, we're not we're not very far away from um, people being able to make um, um, movies with deceased act- actors. So, for example, if you can do what I just described, you could also have uh, get somebody who had roughly the build of Humphrey Bogart and walk him through a, a, a film and then map on, um, you know, the uh, whatever studio owns the rights to Humphrey Bogart or Cary Grant or anybody anybody like that, you could map that person's likeness onto action figures. Basically, what we're talking about is uh, computer-generated images uh, uh, being uh, or the the mashup between animation and and uh, computer generation generated images and all of these things have gotten to the point where it's just really believable okay you 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 think that you're looking at um something that actually happened and it didn't actually happen so that that's the okay this is the it's not the brave new world we're living in but it's the creepy creepy new world we're living in so what does that make me think we ought we need to learn how to do and i and i'd like us to start um uh, agitating for this or, or being vocal about this. I think we need to get to the point where we no longer admit digital evidence into a corner, in, into a court of law. Uh, what people are telling me is that you can generate a you can generate footage. We are we now have the capacity where we could generate footage of someone robbing the bank. We're, we're, we're at the point where we could generate footage of someone committing the crime, punching the guy, 
doing whatever. So ba basically, we have gone into um, a world where evidence can be manufactured. Now, it made sense to me. It, it made sense to me in the early days of surveillance cameras that if you had, if you had a surveillance camera taking, um, taking photos of the guy uh, robbing the 7-Eleven, and then here's the footage officer, and the officer takes it, and they process it, and sure enough, that's the guy, and then you, you confirm that it's the guy. Well, that, yeah, that makes sense. But we are now at the, we're now at the point where people who are not technologically sophisticated are at the mercy of people who are. Okay, they're at the mercy of people who are. Let me give you a, another example. It's a, this is a related example. Suppose, um, suppose the officials decided they wanted to get you. All right, they're going to get you. What, what do they need to do if they want to gin up? If they, if someone has become inconvenient and they wanted to get you out of there, what do they do? Well, what they need to do is they need to find child porn on your computer. Okay, with me. Um, if if uh, if someone's political opponent, if someone's um, if some preacher, if some uh, some candidate running against you, or if someone is uh, mobilizing people for a referendum that is going to, you know, be a populist backlash against what our ruling elites want, uh, how difficult would it be for hackers? to break into this guy's computer, especially if he's just a regular guy who, uh, you know, if he's anything like I am, he learns how to utilize uh, new computer programs by uh, reading the manuals carefully, sticking his tongue out of the side of his mouth while beads of sweat appear on his forehead. Uh, he's, uh, computer languages are not his natural language. He, he can be trained to punch the keys in a certain order to get a certain result, but he's just maybe three steps above a, uh, a moderately intelligent chimpanzee when it comes to that kind of thing. How hard would it be to, to plant evidence in that guy's computer? How, how difficult would it be? Uh, it's not impossible by any stretch, right? And, and so we're at the point where um, somebody could break into your house. Let's say there's a someone who's going to be framed, someone who's going to be uh, set up. And so people break into his house in the middle of the night. They go down, uh, they go into the, his spare bedroom, and they find a bunch of pornographic magazines under his bed. Okay? So they break into his house, and they're willing to testify in court that, they, that this is what they did. They broke into his house, and they found a bunch of porn under his bed. When will it occur to some? When will it occur to someone to say, "Wait a minute, uh, how do I know that they didn't bring the porn with them?" Right? If someone, if someone can uh, uh, go into the nether regions of your computer, they come into your house, seize your computer, and take it all, take it away. Now, how how hard is it to manufacture evidence, digital evidence? Well, I don't. I would submit that it's not hard at all, and so I think we need to return to the good old days of Alfred the Great, 
And by those good old days, I mean that if someone is going to be convicted of robbing the bank, you need to have you need to go back to the old Deuteronomic standard of two or three witnesses who are willing to testify that they saw you robbing the bank and positively identify you. I believe that we are getting to the point where digital evidence, um, photographic evidence, uh, computer-generated evidence is uh, far too susceptible to abuse. Or if we, um, and I'm a reasonable guy, I'd be willing to compromise. Some, uh, uh, where if someone wants to introduce digital evidence of some sort, if they want to introduce the footage of um, you doing this thing, um, that the burden of proof would be on them to show that this image, this, this digital image was not tampered with. All right, so episode 32 of our podcast, uh, the book um, for this session, the book for this segment is Witness by Whitaker Chambers. Um, Witness by Whitaker Chambers. This, this book is a classic of the conservative movement. I'm going to give you a little bit of the, the backstory. Um, Whitaker Chambers was a communist, um, uh, a communist spy. And this, uh, this story unfolds during the uh, McCarthy era, during the, during the uh, Cold War, uh, the post, post-World War II uh, Cold War era. Uh, and one of the things that needs to be, um, it's very popular to decry um, certain things as McCarthyite tactics, but modern McCarthyite tactics have this disadvantage. When McCarthy was yelling about the State Department and and our government being full of communists and communist spies, the one thing that McCarthy had going for him, whether his uh, rudeness was acceptable or his tactics were acceptable, he had this going for him. Uh, he was actually right. Uh, there were a bunch of communists all the way through our government. There, there were a lot of people um, uh, there working for the Soviets. So, um, and Whitaker Chambers was one of them. Whitaker Chambers was a communist, and he was a communist spy. Uh, He uh, worked together with another communist spy, a um, man named Alger Hiss. And for many years after, uh, for many years after all of this, People on the left, liberals, wanted to maintain that Alger Hiss was innocent, he was railroaded, etc. Um, but um, what happened was this. Whitaker Chambers was converted. He, he became a Christian of some stripe. I think he wound up as a, uh, a Quaker. But he was, he was converted, uh, and this was the result of him uh, looking, well, it began with him looking at his young daughter's ear. I think she was having breakfast or something one morning. And he was staring at her ear and th- reflecting on how complex it was. How, um, and so it was basically an early uh, intelligent design argument. Whitaker Chambers um, became uh, a believer as a result of, result of looking at his daughter's ear downstream. Uh, there were a number of other things, obviously, but he, he was converted and uh, wound up uh, 
making the accusation against Alger Hiss. He, uh, and this whole episode, this whole uh, controversy between Chambers and Hiss is what put uh, a young Richard Nixon on the map. So Richard Nixon was a congressman, and he's the one who was pursuing Hiss, and he's the one who uh, believed Chambers. And this book, Witness, is Chambers' account of his life, uh, his conversion, and the, um, uh, the high-stakes battle that occurred uh, when he uh, came out of, out of the uh, dark to testify against, against Alger Hiss. And um, like I said, uh, liberals wanted to maintain that Hiss was uh, framed or set up, but he really was a communist, he really was a spy, he was um, uh, very influential. He was a high-ranking official in our government. And um, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, some of the papers on uh, their side of things confirmed that he was, in fact, uh, that he was, in fact, an, an agent uh, for them. Uh, not a good thing. Whitaker Chambers, um, one of the unsung heroes of the uh, Cold War, and uh, it's a very powerful book, very moving book. I commend it to you. Episode 32 of our podcast, Hamartiology. When something is unruly, it's untamed or uncowed or undisciplined. The New Testament uses this word, akatasketos, for the tongue, which no one can tame. No, nobody can uh, contain this. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Akatasketas. In case we let down our guard, we have to remember that this creature, the tongue, is full of deadly poison. Um, when we meditate on this, we should recall the difference between an unruly kitten and an unruly cobra. Um, we should remember that everybody you know, we've got a cobra in our mouth. And James tells us that one of our, our responsibilities is to, uh, if a man can tame the tongue, he can tame anything. And, uh, and so that's one of the things that we want to set ourselves to do. Of course, we're, we don't get to tame our tongue all by ourselves. We don't have the resources. We don't have the energy. We don't have the smarts. We can't do it. But what man can't do, God can do. And uh, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, and that self-control is something that uh, uh, that applies to the tongue. In fact, I would uh, I would argue that it, it applies to the tongue in the first instance. God in the time of the sickness, God in the doctor too. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform.